Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, sponsored by GE Aviation. I'm one of your hosts here, Chris Henry of the EA Museum Programs Coordinator, and we're switching it up a little bit. On my right today is Hal Bryan, EAA's Senior Editor for Digital and Print Content and Publications. Well, we're really excited. Uh, we're coming up here, or we're on the anniversary of... Uh, something a lot of people remember, the Miracle on the Hudson, uh, Flight uh, 1549 that uh, was successfully ditched uh, in the Hudson River, or on the Hudson River, depending on how you look at it. Um, and with us today, we're very uh, honored to have uh, a special guest on the Green Dot today, uh, Patrick Harton, who was the air traffic controller working the flight. Patrick, thanks for making the trek all the way from New York to Wisconsin. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Well, and we rolled out some fresh snow for you. Oh, so. yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's a white Christmas. <laughs> I promised you cheese, snow, and beer. Yeah, so there you go. We're <laughs> I have two out of three. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, exactly. We have to get cheese yet. <laughs> yes. Okay, you said that was coffee in that cup. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> we switched his Folgers today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Patrick, uh, you know, as we, we sort of walk through this, we're coming up uh, on the anniversary of the flight. Um, and of course, you know, you were an air traffic controller, which in itself, uh, is interesting. I, I was one as well. And just, I just wondered, how did you get your start as an air traffic controller? Actually, um, I grew up around it. My father was an air traffic controller. Uh, that's not what I wanted to do for my career path when I was young. I wanted to actually, uh, be a doctor or something like that. I was very good in, uh, the sciences and math. Um, but when I was about to graduate with my degree of biochemistry, I had no idea what I was going to do with this degree. And that's when my father suggested that I go work for a contract company for the FAA at the time. Um, it was, it was, it wasn't Raytheon. It was, um, I forgot what the name was, but it was like a Raytheon type thing where I was a, a remote pilot operator for the trainees, you know. Um, and I found I had a real good aptitude for the job, and I figured, why not? And uh, where was it you did most of your training? I How did all in New York. Time? Yep. I mean, I went to I went to uh, air traffic school in, in Alaska, okay. Anchorage, UAA, uh, but I got hired at the New York Tradecon, and that's where I spent my whole career. That's excellent. Now, of course, you know, I, I think anybody who flies, when you think of being busy or being kind of intimidated about going into some big airspace, mm-hmm. uh, I think New York, uh, oh, you yeah. know, is, no is doubt. Yeah. probably <laughs> the top of that here in the states. Uh, um, you know, what's it like on a day to day basis working? That airspace down there. Yeah, it's it's nonstop. Um, I mean, this time of year it's a little slower, which is nice. It's a nice break. Um, but I mean, you got three major airports within five a five mile radius, and uh, we have zero margin for error. You go a mile this way, a mile that way, and you're in someone else's airspace. So um, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. And um, with the VFR pilots that come through, I mean. You can tell that they are intimidated just because of the uh, rapid-fire transmissions where it's nonstop, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's something I've always <clears throat> dreamt of doing is going and flying that VFR corridor. I'm sure it's, you know, it's kind of a bucket list thing for a lot of oh, yeah. a lot of GA pilots. Um, but do you, get a, do you get a lot of VFR traffic oh, yeah. that comes we, and does oh, that? Oh, we get, we get a ton, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the time. And um, uh, the biggest advice I could give a, a pilot that's going to do it is just, don't be afraid. Check on quickly. 
<laughs> short and sweet. That's what we like. <laughs> we don't like the long check-ons. Just just check on. That's it. Yeah. You know, we don't bite. It's <laughs> <laughs> good to know. <laughs> well, Patrick, uh, can you walk us through January 15, 2009? I'll never forget that date. Yes, and I will <laughs> never forget that date either. Uh, it started off like any other day. It's uh, very routine, slow. Like I said, this time of year is typically not that busy for us. Um, the flight, uh, Cactus 1549, took off, uh, destined for Charlotte, off runway 4, 360 heading, climbing to 5, climbing to 15. And when it, it was when I tried to turn him westbound on course is when he – had hit the mic and I, we actually transmitted at the same time. I, I turned him left at 270 and um, he was saying mayday, 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 which I didn't hear because we both had the, the mic uh, clicked. Um, it wasn't until I unclicked that I heard the rest of his transmission where he told me that, you know, he hit birds, lost thrust in both engines and was returning back to LaGuardia. And what, what goes through your mind uh, when that happens? Um, a lot of people ask me this and, and uh, I think, uh, the assumption is that there's fear and, um, you know, dread, but the, really I, I am given a problem and I needed to solve the problem. So I didn't think there was no emotional at the time at all. It was just, okay, you need to go back to LaGuardia, turn left two two zero, basic downwind heading for any runway and start coordinating. I, and forgive me for, for pushing on this a little bit, but I, I'm, curious and actually and i would ask this question for you chris i know you had had incidents in your controller career as well but um you said there was no emotional response at the time was at that something time. you sort of postponed and said yes later when i get home and i'm on the couch yeah. with my feet up that's what we do I, all I, the time uh, <laughs> that, just, that's the daily because even if you're not dealing with emergency situations in new york i'm sure other places too i just my only experience is new york um it's always busy so you always have things that happen that could upset you Sure. You know, you have two planes that got close, and you thought they were going to get close to each other. Um, and you just push aside, you keep working, and then you deal with it later. Right. Kind of handle how we handle it. And even though in, a, in an emergency situation like this, the emergency right, must right. be the priority. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, but that doesn't mean that everything else stops. Right. You know, this isn't. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think I had like three or four other aircraft on my frequency at the time. That obviously you still need to, right. to work with and worry about separation and things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, was it kind of the same same for you whenever you had uh, any sort of an incident? Yeah, you know, in my training, the uh, it, much different than working in New York Center and stuff. I mean, I was working a, a Class D. Uh, but I remember um, in my training, they had told us that if you can, uh, whenever you have an emergency, the first thing you should do is start ticking sec- like time. You know, as stuff's happening, if you can, just write down, you know, just a minute, 05, mayday, mayday, mayday. You know, just a little notes to yourself so that when you go back to do your paperwork, right? you know, you had some form of reference because time gets weird when that all oh, happens. Oh, no doubt. And uh, I remember it didn't hit me <coughs> until I had an incident with a beach jet uh, emergency uh, in-flight fire and stuff. And it it didn't hit me until I was doing the paperwork. Yeah. And they, they pulled you off frequency and you're downstairs. That's when it hit me. That it was like, wow, we, you know, yeah, we, same we for all kind of dodged a bullet, you know. <clears throat> yeah, same for me. Um, we, I, we get to listen to a, a replay and, and actually watch the replay. That's how we do our paperwork. But it was watching the replay. It was like, that was tough. Yeah. yeah. That, that's when you 
because you're no longer working it, so you can actually absorb what is really happening. And this is actually before I found out that anyone survived. So I'm watching the replay, and I, I see a plane go go down basically next to the city, um, not by a runway. So I I, I thought the worst. So, you, <clears throat> wow, that is that's remarkable. You're actually watching the replay before you know anything about the outcome. Yeah. And that um, what's the what's the purpose of watching the replay that? Uh, soon is it just for making the statement because you have to make a statement about uh, it's an incident right you know, so you have to do an incident report so but wow it, yeah it, that's in, incredible to think about that that you're you're doing that kind of that kind of prep and thinking that far ahead <laughs> you know as we said instead of you know let, let's come back in three days after you've had a, a weekend or something right and, <laughs> and do it we're watching the replay right then and, yeah and while wow, it's fresh in your memory so what uh, what did you think had happened to the airplane? I mean, you, you did hear right away about the bird strike and losing thrust, but yeah. then... Uh, <clears throat> well, basically, after all runway options were eliminated, which I tried to give them every runway in the New York metro area, <laughs> as everyone knows, <laughs> um, he went down in, in the river, and I kind of, I don't know if you ever saw that, I think it was a Turkish airline where it hit the water and the wingtip hits yeah. and it kind of cartwheels. That, that's what the image I had in my mind. That's what I imagine happened. Wow. Yeah, that was like a 757 or 67 yeah. ditching yeah. right off the coast mm -hmm. or amateur video on a beach. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah that's – and that, It's I, not a good image. And <laughs> I don't want to put it this way, but kind of by rights, that almost is what should have happened. Yeah. Or it, it's better to say that would not have been an unexpected outcome. Exactly. That's, that's amazing. Wow. And how did you find out? How was it given? How was it, I guess, given to you that 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 isn't what happened? That they had made a successful. So this is like the the tragic and funny part of the story, actually, because I was in the union office. I was um, basically isolated from social media news, and my fellow coworkers were up there. The ones that were on break are watching it and like, re you know, reveling in this miracle that that happened. Um, and it took 45 minutes for someone to say, hey, you know, maybe we should go tell Patty. <laughs> it took 45 minutes for him to come down. And it was someone who just opened the door and said, hey, man, it looks like everyone survived. And I'm like, what? Like, I thought he was messing with me because that's, you know, that's that's what we do. But <laughs> I would think this is kind of over the line. <laughs> but, I, you know, obviously once I heard that, it was a tremendous relief. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and what was your first uh, uh, much smaller scale again i mean uh, the incident that i had it was pretty unique uh we had a chance to all meet up did what was it like when you finally got to meet some of the the crew and the passengers from? so the the first people i met was actually uh jeff skiles and uh sully about a month later down in dc because we testified in front of congress so we met them like the day before we were scheduled to testify they kind of walk you through to show you what to expect and I remember seeing them walking down the hallway opposite direction, and I'm looking at him. Obviously, I recognize him because he was all over the news. Um, and I just, I was like, wow, it's, it was, it was weird because it's almost like a dead man walking, you know, <laughs> like how, how are you here right now, type <laughs> thing. So, the, my union guy uh, went up, introduced himself, and he, he goes, oh, uh, air traffic control is the control here. And he like, yeah, yeah, he's right over here, pointed to me. And Sully came up and shook my hand, and he said, you did a really good job. And 
to me, that, that was the first time that I actually felt okay about what happened because everyone in the world can tell you you did a good job, you did everything you could, There's, you know, um, you contributed. I needed to hear it from him because he was the one that I was trying to help, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> when you're going through that, and I know we're backing up a little bit here, but when you're going through trying to find them in airport right, and nothing's working out, did at any point you feel that were you sort of there too where let's go for the Hudson or did it just happen or no uh that was never my plan uh, <laughs> I I you know at that point I had been in control for 10 years uh I worked several emergencies it's New York we work a lot of traffic you're going to work emergencies um always got them back to the airport okay so that that was always my goal that is that is really something to imagine um is there uh, this is maybe an unfair unfair question, but uh, I, I can't imagine that there was anything that you look back on it that you would want to do differently. Would you agree? No, it's not an unfair question. There are no unfair questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That was um, easy. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I got the call sign wrong, but so did Sully. You know, it's Cactus fifteen forty nine was the flight number. He. When he had the emergency, he called himself Cactus fifteen thirty nine, and then I proceeded to call him Cactus fifteen twenty nine. You know, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I never picked up on that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you listen to it, and it was interesting because someone, brought, one of the passengers, brought it up how the numbers were going down as he was descending. <laughs> so, that was a, a weird tie, and I'm like, uh, I yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I always hated that moment where uh, anything would happen, whether it was big or small in the tower. I think it's every controller's fear because you're going to live and die by the tape. Oh, no doubt. I mean, oh, you sure. know, and they'll, they'll bring it back. And just to say, anybody, I don't think, I think most people don't like the sound of their voice on a no. recorded you know, device or something. You know, and, uh, uh, but then it's also like, here you go. You're going to get judged by this. I uh, know. Well, that was know. one of the hardest parts I had dealing with the whole this, this whole situation was, I, I, I've been controller in New York for 10 years at this point, you know. I always considered um, myself a good controller. I'm going to be judged on 90 seconds worth of work now, you know. Yeah. And by Monday morning quarterbacks all over the world, yeah. you know. So that was, that was hard for me to deal with, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, uh, <clears throat> and thanks to this, this, this wonderful uh, uh, iPhone uh, editing and, and, not, and <laughs> autocorrect, uh, I have to ask you this question, probably because I'm the only one that understands it at this point because of uh, how it got written down. But, uh, yeah. um, you know, when did it all – when did it, you, you told me a story about your mom, Colin. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about that, about how it all sort of it sort of sank in? With, in, in, in yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I obsessed with the news afterwards. And um, I remember when the tapes came out and, and they were released. And um, I was just flipping through the channel and – I, now I hear my voice, and it, like you said, it's it's uncomfortable to hear. You don't go into air traffic control to become famous. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's just not something you do. So and you come on podcasts to do that. Yeah, oh, yes, exactly. Fair enough. <laughs> so my mom calls me right away, and she's like, oh, she was so amazed. She's like, oh, this, it's a, you sound great. And I'm like, I couldn't talk to her because I was, I was broken up. That's when. You know, it was just weird for me, the realization that the whole world is listening to me because, you know, it was a big story. Um, and I knew it was going to get a lot of attention and, and the spotlight was going to be on me. Uh, not just me, obviously, but um, enough that I felt uncomfortable, you know. Uh, uh, 
you mentioned meeting uh, Sully and Skiles at the at the hearing, uh, and of course it'd be remiss if we didn't call out you know that they've had a, a good association with EAA, they were mm-hmm. our Young Eagles uh, chairman, and then Jeff came to work here as a VP uh, for quite a while, and until very and uh, well until December uh, wrote a column for Sport Aviation Magazine. So these guys are you know well known to the EAA world. Um, Great guys. Yeah, very very much yeah. so. Very you know very generous, and uh, and there's a lot of a lot of strength and a lot of talent there. Um, you know, they have both spoken on, on multiple occasions about <laughs> sort of like the reunions and sort of meeting passengers and things like that. Have you been a part of any of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, every year. And yeah. the 10-year anniversary is coming up. We're going to go down to Charlotte where the plane is. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's It's been amazing because we have this shared experience, and it's almost it, – it, I call it my 1549 family. Because we're all like family members. Uh, we're all friends on Facebook. I get texts from some of the passengers that they're flying in and out of LaGuardia. They, they actually want me to work their flight. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I get that request every now and then. Oh, that's awesome. <coughs> that is, yeah. Hey, when you've spoken about, uh, about that event and that <clears throat> day, uh, over the years, is there did, does anything stand out? I, I, you said earlier that we were, you were kind of says no unfair questions. Have you ever gotten any just really weird questions? Weird questions. Or no, I don't. I can't think of anything okay. offhand. I'm sure I have. I just can't think of <laughs> anything <laughs> offhand. <laughs> what the, did you have any emotion the first time you walked into the museum at the Carolinas Aviation Museum and saw the airplane? Yeah, uh, I, I think going down there, it was uh, more surreal than any, anything else. You know, um, and seeing the plane, there was a lot more damage to it. Then I actually thought would have been there uh, from the bird strike. Uh, it was a big flock that they hit because there was nose damage. It was all loads on the wings also. Um, so that that kind of struck me. So the, the whole the whole situation is very surreal, you know. The two things that struck me, I was just there about a month ago. <coughs> oh, okay. and uh, I never realized that one of the window, uh, one of the windshields was was I don't want to say shattered, Cracked, but, yeah. but definitely uh, uh, damaged. Uh, yeah. And uh, also the condition of the engines was incredible when you just right. see how much they were chewed up. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. from the from the birds. Right, I that's mean, what stuck out for me also. Yeah, yeah. And you you also mentioned you know going down to to testify. What was that like? Was oh that... my god! <laughs> <laughs> all right. So first of all, this is a guy that I the I dropped one class in in college. It was public speaking because I did not want to speak in public. <laughs> That's the only class I've ever dropped. And here I am basically testifying in front of Congress, which is one of the most intimidating venues you can ever imagine. Like they, I think they do this on purpose, but you, you sit low, they sit high, they're looking down on you, and then they have the, the media pit in front of you. So when they say, okay, now we recognize Patrick Carton, the cameras go and hear, and Okay, now I have to start speaking. <laughs> it was I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I remember um, Doreen Welsh was uh, she's one of the flight attendants. She was the one sitting next to me, and um, I'm pouring. I'm trying to pour water in my glass, and my hand was shaking so much <laughs> that I could barely get it in there. She helped me out. It was very nice of her. <laughs> of all people to have next to you, a flight attendant probably knows a bit <laughs> yeah. about pouring water in yeah. turbulent conditions yeah. and things. That's, yep. That's excellent. <laughs> it, so, uh, when you when you did the 
when you were testifying, did they did they say just tell us the story of what happened, or were they leading you with questions? Was it a well, we started with the, I had the, my prepared statement, okay. um, so I read that, and then I did a Q and A afterwards, um, which I'm much more comfortable with as a controller. That's what we do. It's it's constant feedback. You know, you say something, I say something. You said sure. reading a prepared statement is where I was uncomfortable. <laughs> that was not in my comfort zone. <laughs> did you get the feeling that? Uh, <laughs> Uh, the people asking the questions, did you feel like they were prepared and sort of ha- had some, some grounding <laughs> in what they were talking about? Uh, did, you, did you see it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're leading up to uh, the Micah moment. Uh, you remember John Micah <laughs> as, started asking me questions about airspace, and he was trying to push some airspace redevelopment, but they did it without input from the union and controllers. And he puts out this map, and he goes, Sully didn't have, um, you know, these options for taking off LaGuardia. I'm, I'm looking at the lines that he drew, and I'm like, I can tell you right now, some of those aren't going to work. And everyone kind of <laughs> laughed, and he got so mad at me. <laughs> well, I, was, I was just being honest. I'm like, you, I see you, you're making a 70 off runway four, 70 heading. That's not going to work. Just, Kennedy's there. <laughs> you know? So, Excellent. <laughs> well, and, and really, I, I think... <clears throat> It, it, obviously, in this instance, you can restructure the airspace however you want. Yeah, you can you can call it Class Z if if yeah. you want, and and make right. all kinds of rules. It wasn't going to change the fact that that airplane <laughs> couldn't make it to a runway. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, the whole premise was ill-advised. <laughs> <laughs> very diplomatic. Yeah, I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> the uh, I'd once heard a, heard a story, and I think it was in a documentary, maybe. But I always wanted to ask somebody for real. Uh, that would know. I had heard a story once that if one of the run, if one airport changed runways, all three had to change or something like that. That does happen. Yes. Really? Yeah. It, it depends on the configuration, but it's basically when Kennedy goes to ILS thirteen, it forces all of us to change our runway configurations. Wow. Because their ILS thirteen goes over Manhattan, so we can't land four. We can't land two two for the go around. You got to protect for the go around. Um, so we, we're forced on thirteen also. It'd be interesting to see, you know, just <clears throat> if the scenario had played out on a different runway, what would have happened? I don't know if anybody ever did that. Yeah. But that'd be interesting. You know, his departure from a different runway. Right. You know, what would have happened? That would yeah. Be- well, I, I mean, if he took a 13 on the Whitestone climb, which turned southbound, he would have been pointed right at Kennedy. So he actually probably, if, if it was a 13 departure, he probably would have made Kennedy, I would say. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. um, that's, I mean, it's only five miles between the airports. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow, you just you just never know. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about the movie a little bit. As we're recording this, uh, obviously it's going to air a bit later, but uh, you'll be uh, joining us tonight mm-hmm. for a screening of uh, of the film Sully. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the the first and biggest, most important question is sort of what do you what do you think of it? Well, how how do you think it was portrayed? I thought it was a very well done movie. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think they. I mean, it's Hollywood, so they embellish a little bit. I think they embellish a little bit on how the NTSB treated Sully. They they, they had to make that make them the bad guy. Right. Um, I don't really think they were. I don't think Sully feels that way either. I haven't talked to him about it. Um, they, you know, obviously Patch apologized to me beforehand because he, <laughs> he's like, I just got to tell you something. They have they have me cry in the movie. Oh, I'm like, nah. <laughs> There's no crying in air traffic control. There is no crying in AT. I could not go back to work if I cried on the, on the radar. Um, 
I wish they didn't do that, but you know what? Again, it's Hollywood, so they're going to do what they're going to do. But it was, overall, it was a very well-done movie. I, uh, I mentioned that you know, Jeff Skiles wrote a column for us for, for quite a while, and he uh, wrote one shortly after the film came out, sort of sharing his reactions to it. And his, you know, So the first thing he said about it was overall amazingly accurate. Mm-hmm. And then he, he very specifically pointed out that uh, uh, his biggest uh, – their biggest sort of deviation from reality was taking that whole NTSB process and compressing something like 18 months into four days or something, something like that. And it it was interesting because he said, you know, generally it wasn't that adversarial, but he also stressed that it was intimidating enough that, that I think he was feeling that way regardless of how sort of they were being treated. You know, you still feel like, I mean, you talked about testifying before Congress. My gosh, right. that's, as you said, probably the most yeah. intimidating venue you could imagine. So, oh, I, I totally get that. Um, you know, obviously, when you they're asking you questions, they're asking questions that they have to ask. You know what I mean? Right. Um, when you're you know, on the other end, you kind of feel like they're attacking you, but they're really just trying to find out what happened. You know. So I get that. I, I totally get why why he would feel that way. Was it powerful to you? Um, to see, you know, to see that uh, at least, at least fairly to very to amazingly accurate, uh, just recreation of what was actually yeah. going on. Oh yeah, yeah. It was that was weird watching that movie. I'll be honest. I think it came out about five years afterwards. Yeah. Um, uh, at that point, I kind of accepted and absorbed my new reality, which is this. You know. Right. Um, but. Uh, to to watch it, to actually watch, I guess the hardest part was actually watching the plane crash. Like, you know, they showed it going into the city and stuff like that, because that that was a real possibility. Sure. So yeah, all those what ifs. Yeah, the what ifs yeah. is is the hardest part, and and they address that in the movie. So that was a little hard for me to watch. You know, generally speaking, I think there is a consensus that this this movie has done better with an aviation. In terms of accuracy for an aviation event, mm-hmm. than than certainly a lot of films. So we we talk a lot about aviation movies on the show. We're all big aviation movie movie buffs. Um, and we'll you know we'll talk about even even something like Pearl Harbor. Not exactly lauded for its accuracy to say the least. But I I, I find a, a shred of value there, and I I think it's safe to say you you get even more of that from something like Sully because of its its increased accuracy. That. You know, now, as hard as it's to believe, we're 10 years on, it's easy to look at any event in history as sort of a foregone conclusion. Right. Well, they took off, they hit some birds, landed in the water, and everybody's fine. Right. You know, the end. That's it. When, you know, the odds against that working the way that it did were staggering, and, you know, the, the success and professionalism of the crew and controllers and everybody working together made that happen. I think there's value in. A, a movie that does a good job of putting you in that experience and, mm-hmm. and at least the the emotion and sort of the visceral sense of it. Yeah, yeah, they did a good job there. <clears throat> and it's, as I said, you know, even as I say, even something like Pearl Harbor, uh, <laughs> not very accurate, but if it if it takes somebody who doesn't know anything about that event and gives them a, a small sense of what sort of the chaos and the mm-hmm. and the, the fear and the risks and things were like, and then hopefully inspires them to want to go and learn more about it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, yeah. it's not a bad thing. Absolutely. So, so after so, so after 1549, um, 
how did that work? Like, did you have a block of time off before you had to come back to work? Yeah. Um, so I, I did take some time off. I took, I think I was about 40 days before I returned to work. And, um, you know, I, I had, you know, I was getting therapy and stuff like that to, to deal with what happened because it was rough. Um, you know, I think the hardest part for me was accepting the fact that something could happen that no matter what I did, I couldn't get back to the airport. Because I operated in the illusion that no matter what you threw at me, fine, I, I can handle anything. That's not reality. Sometimes things happen that are just out of your control. So that was the hardest part for me going back to work. You know, we had uh, <coughs> uh, we had Chris Tucker here, and uh, he gave a, a phenomenal talk on being in New York Center on 9-11. Yeah. But he also went into the, uh, the aspect of, of, of PTSD. Yeah. And uh, he gave a great talk on PTSD that I, I from an avenue that I've never seen. Oh, you know? he's very good with that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was fantastic. I've talked to him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. W- was there your first day back? Was it was it was it tough? Yeah, uh, it was very tough, and I avoided departure for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I worked the arrivals mostly. I think I still do. <laughs> Chris had an interesting story of his first day back on the scope. Uh, uh, he worked, uh, I think, American Eleven okay. on nine eleven, and his first day back on the scope, uh, they gave him the same sector just because that's how the break board. Uh, it was his the, the guy working that sector was up for a break. He went and relieved him, and the first flight he talked to was like American seventy seven or some Something. a number that was very similar too close. To, yeah, and he's like, man, that was a rough yeah. that was a rough start to my my shift back. Yeah, people know? underestimate that. Yeah, it, it really does stay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well. I, I can't thank you enough for coming up here and being a part of this. My and, pleasure. Uh, like I said, uh, dragging you all the way from New York City to, to Oshkosh, <laughs> Wisconsin. Um, for everybody listening, we hope that uh, you're enjoying the podcast. Please keep leaving us uh, the reviews. Uh, they matter more than, than, than I think you guys know. Um, we enjoy doing it, and we can't do it without you because otherwise we'd just be talking to ourselves. Um, so, and we do that too. So, <laughs> but uh, we hope you you keep leaving those reviews on iTunes and Google Play, wherever you find your your podcast. Um, and uh, with that, I think we'll close out this episode. I'm winging it here. I don't usually do this. Hal has entrusted me to close this one out. Um, but uh, stay with us uh, next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.